Lord Jesus, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for your healing in our hearts. Thank you for he your healing in Timothy's life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're teaching him and what you've taught us through him. And we're asking for your grace on every one of us, Lord. Would you keep changing us? Would you move us up higher in our relationship with you? Bring us close to you, Lord. Would you do for us what we can't do for ourselves? Would you open our hearts tonight? Open up our minds. Would you help my friends here to experience you? And that the cornerstone be known as a place where people can be authentically touched by your Holy Spirit. No pretending, no hype, just the reality of seeing you face to face. We want you, Lord. And would you speak to us now? Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, just, just what I just said, prayed right now, is, as I say all the time, the Lord God, the King of the universe, is speaking to the people at the Cornerstone tonight. But we will not hear him if we don't want to hear him. So what I just prayed, I just prayed, and you guys prayed along with me, asking him to open our hearts, open our minds, so that he could speak to us. He won't speak to us. And I'm hoping that you guys want to hear from him too. And if you do, then you're not going to go away disappointed. So if you don't have a Bible, Matt's got Bibles right here. This is a Bible study. We're going to open up our Bibles to Acts 6, and we're going to talk about some things that I think are really exciting. But first I want to ask you guys, as um, you've been going through your week, how many of you guys had, school, had classes today? Okay. How much did you pay for the classes that you had today? About, okay, how, about how much do you pay per hour of beating class? 35 bucks an hour? Okay, 35, I'm glad you got it figured out, Daniel. Okay, 35 bucks an hour to be in class. I want to ask you, did, who learned $35 an hour of stuff from your classes today? I'm, I'm, I'm asking, who, who went to class today and thought, man, I got what I paid for? I, I'm, I'm hoping you did. Not many of you are raising your hands. Okay, okay. my hope is that you guys went to class and every penny of what you paid for was worth it. That you're getting stuff from the University of Texas Arlington or TCC or wherever else you went to school today that is going to be effective in helping you with the rest of your lives. I hope you're not wasting your money. I hope you're not wasting your time. I hope you're not wasting your energy and what you're learning over here. And I think in the big picture, I think most of you would say, yeah, my time at UTA was worth it. But I'm hoping that you learned some things over there today that are going to help you in your future. Now, here's I got good news for you. What you're learning here tonight, you don't got to pay anything for. But the scary thing about it is sometimes you don't value what you don't pay for. So what I'm asking you to do is to recognize that I'm teaching you guys the Bible because there's things in the Bible that we're going to study tonight that are going to have more of an effect in your life than anything you learned in school over there today. I hope. I hope. And you get it for free. Take it. All right. I got one person that said you should take it. Okay. So, guys, we're in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is, a, is the account by Dr. Luke of what happened after Jesus stepped off this planet. Jesus told his disciples that he was going away and that if he went away that he would put that he would send his spirit to be in them so that they could continue the ministry that he was doing when he left. And that if they received the Holy Spirit from him, that they would do even greater things than he'd done. So we've been studying about this. And 
what we ended up with last week, if you guys remember, is that we've kind of got this cycle. There's power poured out from God. And because of the power that is poured out on God's people, they do ministry. And when ministry happened, then the people who didn't like the ministry that they were doing stood in opposition to them. And that really was fueled by devils, the devil's plan, the devil's scheme to try to put a stop to what Jesus had started. And so what do the disciples do? What do the people do? The believers in Jesus do when the opposition comes. They go to pray. And when prayer happens, more power is poured out. And so that's where we ended last week. And the devil is raging against the church of Jesus at this time that we read about. And the devil is raging against the church of Jesus at this time right now in 2019. And he's doing everything. He's using every tactic that he possibly can to stop the church of Jesus. And so what we ended up with last week is we just talked about this, this, this unstoppable force, this community of believers that has continued from then all the way right down to this day, the people at the corners of this unstoppable force empowered by the, the Spirit of God doing Jesus' work on this planet. So let me read the last couple of verses where we ended up last week, okay? So... If you back up from Acts 6 to Acts chapter 5, verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin, that's the council, the, the ruling council, the courtroom basically, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. In other words, they're going, yeah, we suffered for Jesus. It, it, well, maybe I shouldn't have you raise your hands. But I want you guys to think, have you ever suffered for Jesus? And if you did suffer for Jesus, then what was your attitude? And if you haven't ever suffered for Jesus, you got to try it. <laughs> and if you try it, you can expect that th good things are going to come about because of your participation in his suffering with him. So they rejoice because of the suffering they've experienced. And day after day, verse 42 of chapter 5, day after day, in the temple courts, and from house to house. That's at Joy House, at Shalom House, the Cornerstone, at Ohana House, at what house did I miss? Oh, Lionheart. And every other house that's represented here in this room. At every house, they were, sorry guys, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They never stopped proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. Day after day, and from house to house, and from classroom to classroom, from workplace to workplace, they did it, and they're still doing it to this day, you people at the Cornerstone. So, that's where we ended. Now, chapter 6. In chapter 6, we get a really good description of what this community of Jesus people is like in Jerusalem. The church is born in Jerusalem. So, verse, verse 1. I want you guys to think about what this, what this, how this describes the church, the community of Jesus' people. So, chapter 6 of Acts, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing. So, first thing I want you guys to know about the church in Jerusalem that we want to pattern ourselves after is that the number of people who were following Jesus because of the church was increasing. You guys remember how, what it started with? It started with how many people? Really, 12 for the first start with Jesus, he, he, he gathered 12 recruits to train them, to train others. So 12, then it, then it was up to 70. Then it was up to 120. Then in one day, it was up to 3,000. And then just shortly after that, it was up to 5,000. And then after that, we just, they lost count because we just keep on reading this, the, this verse that seems to keep on appearing that says, and the number of disciples added and added because of the things that were happening. 
So now we're at like something like 5,000, 6,000, 7,000, something like that. So the church, the church in Jerusalem was exploding. Okay, I want you guys to see something else about the church in Jerusalem. So in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, have you guys noticed when you get two or three or four or five or 5,000 people together, they got problems? <laughs> right? I mean, if you don't want any problems, go find yourself an island and live there all by yourself. You get another kind of problem if you do that. But if you add one more person to your little island, you're going to have headbutting. You guys are going to have problems. Okay, so this is what happens. Look what happens. In the second part of verse 1, the Grecian Jews, whatever those are, we talk about that in a second. The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Okay. Here's what. Here's the second thing I want you guys to realize about the church in, in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem had a food distribution program. For who? For widows. For poor people. Okay. Do you guys remember earlier in the book of Acts where we read about the start of this program? Anybody remember? Okay, this is a trick question because we didn't read about it. It's not there. Sorry, guys. Tricked you. Sorry. Okay. At least I, was, I was thinking maybe everybody's going to raise their hand. Okay. It wasn't there. It just, but you guys notice how the way it mentions this food distribution program, like everybody just knows about it? It's like there's this food distribution program. Here's the implication. Guys, the implication is that where the church of Jesus is, there's a food distribution program where the church of Jesus is, what the people of God are up to is taking care of the needs of people. And for some of us, like, well, should that, that have been described? It wasn't described because it was expected. Unlike any other community of people from the start of creation until this time, there has never been another community of people that has taken care of others the way that the church of Jesus did, ever. And Jesus taught them to do this. Do you guys remember when Jesus sits, when he's, when he's in his hometown synagogue and he opens the scroll to the prophet Isaiah and he reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus says, you guys remember this? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim Freedom for the captives and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I mean, it's all good news for people that don't have any good news. That's what Jesus came for. And then he goes and he says, I, I'm raising you guys up and I'm giving you my spirit so you'll continue to do the things that I've been doing. The reason the church in Jerusalem was exploding was because they had their priorities right. Sure, we read about miracles, we read about signs and wonders, but the people who were leading the church in Jerusalem, guys, understand this, the people who were leading the church in Jerusalem weren't just seeking out miraculous signs and wonders, they were seeking out helping the poor people and the hungry people. See, sometimes, maybe the reason we haven't seen the kinds of miracles Right now, every day, like they were seeing at that point, is because maybe we want miracles because we're really lazy. Think about this. Think about this. God tells us to take care of the widows, 
and the orphans and the poor with our time and our energy and our money. And we say, God, I got to get a class. And I only got 10 minutes. So here's somebody who's in need. I'm going to pray for you. Jesus, would you bless this guy? Would you give him everything that he needs? See ya. I got to get to class. And that's not what God had in mind. We got to understand what Jesus' method is. Jesus' method is that he's not asking us to go out and ask God to do things for these people. He's asking us to do these things for these people. He's not asking us to go and ask him to give this person food and a place to live. He's asking us to give this person a food, food and a place to live. That's God's method. And if we don't understand that, then we, go, then we go around expecting God to do the things that he sent us out to do. Can you guys think about a verse in the Bible that talks about Jesus' way of t- taking care of widows and orphans? Do you guys remember? A verse that says this is the kind of religion that God is looking for. To... Take care of the widows and the orphans and to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Now, who wrote that? James did. James wrote that. And what was the connection? Here's where this this is where I kind of got excited as I was going through this this morning. What's the connection between Mr. James and the church in Jerusalem that's doing this feeding program? What's that? They're caring after widows. But what's James's connection with all this? What's that? That's right. That's right. He's Jesus' brother. But who became, what did James become? What happened to James? Does anybody know the story of James? He was there. He's there. Now, he, remember, he hadn't, he hadn't followed Jesus until after Jesus came to life again. And then he had a radical change. And he joins the community of Jesus' people. And he becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he's the guy that says, you guys want to talk about religion? Religion is about feeding orphans and widows. Where do you think he got that? First of all, he gets it because he's, he's been there with Jesus and Jesus' people as they're doing this feeding program. But I think also, James had grown up. Who were James's parents? Mary. And Joseph, Mary and Joseph, and he's grown up. And you guys notice that, he, that, that the oldest son of that family was who? Jesus. Thank you. I'm glad you guys got that right. The oldest, G- James' oldest brother was who? Jesus. He knows the oldest brother in the family doesn't have a place to lay his head. Right? Isn't that what Jesus said about Jesus? He's like, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man, he don't even got a place to stay. In other words, he said, I'm a homeless man. So now why, why was Jesus homeless? And why is it that we never read about, why don't we read about, about Joseph? Joseph is out of the picture. I think probably the reason James has orphans and widows at his heart is because he watched his mom, I think, as a widow, trying to take care of a bunch of kids. And I think he grew up as somewhat of a semi-orphan. They were poor. And here he is. He's, he's come to have faith in Jesus, and he becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And every other, almost every other time that we read about James in the New Testament, it has to do with taking care of poor people. That's at the heart of James.
because it's the heart of Jesus. Here's the point, guys. We want to build Jesus' church. I mean, how, how many of you guys want to build Jesus' church? It's like, we want to do it. We want to build it. We're, here, we're, in, we are, we're building Jesus' kingdom, and we got all kinds of strategies. But the reason the, ch- the church there had so much momentum in those first years was because from day one, the mission of the church was about taking care of people in need. Guys, that hasn't changed. That hasn't changed at all. Their mission, their goal wasn't just to get God to do a miracle. Their goal was, God, do a miracle in me to give me the strength to love the next person that walks in the door of the cornerstone and treat them like they are precious, giving them what they need. And that takes a miracle in my heart. You guys just saw that we're going out of Port Port Arthur in two weeks. You know why we're doing this kind of thing? Because this is at Jesus' heart. This is the kind of thing that Jesus does. Our brothers and sisters in Port Arthur lost their building. It got smashed in a hurricane. And what did Jesus' brothers and sisters do? What did the body of Christ brothers and sisters do? We're like, okay, we're coming to help you. That's the way that Jesus does his work. Okay. You guys still with me? Okay. There's something else that I want you guys to get from that, the second part of that verse. So the Grecian Jews complained. Remember, they're complaining because the food, the food program wasn't fair. Notice that? Look at, look at the second part of verse 1. The Grecian Jews among them complained about the Hebrew Jews, that their widows were getting overlooked. Okay. The Grecian Jews. Here, here's the deal. We're, what, what we know about the Jerusalem church is that there is cultural diversity there. Do you guys remember when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost? Just probably a few months before this. Remember how many languages are being spoken at Pentecost? It lists 15 different language groups that are being that are represented there. So there's lots of cultural diversity here. Lots of, lots of ethnicities. Remember, the Jewish people had been scattered all over the place. The center was in Jerusalem, so there were Hebrew and Aramaic-speaking Jews in Jerusalem. But all these other Jewish people, Jewish in somewhat in belief system, but culturally different, and the language they spoke was different. They come to Jerusalem, and there is cultural clash happening. It's like the people that get the... Hebrew jokes and the people that don't. You guys know what you're talking about? I mean, there's, there's, they're like, they don't, they don't think the same. They're culturally different. You know, often we think, okay, cultural diversity, that's good. And it is good. And do you guys know of any other ministry that is, that is as culturally diverse as what we've got here at the Cornerstone? I think it's hard to find because we're working towards a unity among cultures among ethnicities, because I think that's what heaven's going to be like. So there's cultural diversity in the, in the New Testament church, but I want you to see also that there's cultural stress, because what's going on here is you got one group of people, those people who are from other parts, going, we're not being treated very nice. Does that sound familiar? Anytime that you've got a community Whereas free, think about this. Whenever there's free stuff offered, whether it's free coffee or free burgers or free Wi-Fi or free study space or free parking space, free does not mean, just think about this, guys. Free doesn't mean unlimited supply. People think it does. They're like, free, will, will, that means you get enough for me too. Free doesn't mean there's unlimited supply. There's still a limited supply. And so what's going on here is they're going, 
why did I get my share? That wasn't very nice because they got more than me. So give me more, give me more. And here's what happens. Whenever people feel like they're being treated unfairly, they do something. There's a, there's a mental thing that they do called attribution error. Does anybody know what attribution error is? Yeah, you guys learned about this in, in anthropology, right? Okay, attribution error is the, is the mistake of attributing the unfairness to something about me. Who got invited to Taka's going away party? Did Taka have a going away party? Okay. Okay. If, if Taka, Taka left a couple days ago. If Taka had a going, yeah, I've heard it. See, everybody's feeling bad. Okay. Guys, Taka had a great going away party. It was so fun. And everybody that's important to him got invited. And how are you guys all feeling? You're like, I didn't get invited. And I didn't get invited. I didn't get invited because they don't like pastors. Or they don't like old people. Or they don't. And here's what you do. If it's Kevin, they're like, oh, they don't like guys with curly hair. Right? I mean, here's the deal. Every time that people don't get treated fairly, what they do is they're like, I can't believe that they don't like people that are over 30. Right? It's an, this is called attribution error. And it happens all the time. You guys know people that they went to the job interview, right? And they saw the people that are working at that place, and they all looked, they were all a different culture or a different ethnicity than, than the person applying was. And then they didn't get the job, and they're like, yeah, they didn't like me because I'm white. Or they didn't like me because I'm black. Or they didn't let me on the worship team because I'm an Indian guy. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> okay, okay. Aaron, Aaron is on the worship team, so don't worry. I can say that. Okay. Is this not right, guys? Doesn't, guys, this is what's going on in the church, the, the precious church in Jerusalem that Jesus died for. They're going, you're not being very nice because I don't speak it. I don't have the same accent as you. And the, the, the threat from the devil is to disrupt the precious church of Jesus. The devil's scheming. If I can just divide this church, if I can get this church to not be united, my job is done. But that can't happen. That, can't, that could not happen. And the Holy Spirit was at work in the church. And so I want you guys to see something else. Verse 2. We're going to get through this, guys. Okay, verse 2. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together. I'm trying to figure out where I am here. Okay. So there's cultural stress in verse 2. Here's what I want you guys to see about the church in Jerusalem. Church in Jerusalem. Think about how great the cornerstone is. We got great leaders at Cornerstone. The church in Jerusalem, they got great, great leaders. They got 12 apostles. Can you imagine being a church with one of the apostles? They got, church, they got a church with the 12 guys who Jesus had entrusted with the fulfilling of the Great Commission. This is amazing. So they got 12 apostles there. Now, why are they still there? Think about this. Why are the apostles still in Jerusalem? Remember, Jesus said, you guys are going to be my witnesses first in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and then to the whole world. But they're still in Jerusalem. Now, not much time has passed since Jesus left. Holy Spirit came. They're in Jerusalem. And they're not going to stay in Jerusalem. What's going to happen if you fast forward 
a little bit is they they go all over the world. And who becomes the leader in Jerusalem? Instead of those 12 apostles? The guy who becomes the leader in Jerusalem is Mr. James. The guy that, that the guy that's got this feeding program and taking care of orphans and widows and poor people at his heart. He becomes the leader in Jerusalem. But you know what? How long has James been following Jesus? Not very long. His, he's not ready to take over the church in Jerusalem. So he's got 12 apostles who have spent time learning from Jesus and from the Holy Spirit who are training him to take over this church. But he's not ready yet. And not only that, but those people that are in those 5,000, they got 5,000 people in that community. Do they know theology? Do they know? They've all experienced good food from the feeding program. They've all seen miracles happen. And they're about to be scattered because of persecution for all the way from Great Britain all the way to China and India. They get scattered everywhere. They go everywhere. But not yet. Not yet. Why are these 12 apostles in Jerusalem? Because these 12 apostles are training these 5,000 people to explode the church all over the known world, all over Europe and Asia, all over Africa, northern Africa. So what's the point for us here at the Cornerstone? Here's the deal, guys. This Cornerstone right now, this is the equivalent of our Jerusalem, of their Jerusalem. You guys are here right now because, guys, I'm taking this seriously. You are being trained right now because if we fast forward 10 years from now, the people who are in this room, even tonight, and we got a lot of people who aren't here tonight, but the people who are in this room tonight, you 10 years from now, you guys are going to be all over the world and the things that you're learning right now during these days at the Cornerstone. I know some of you guys are like, wow, I'm, I got too much going in my brain to be able to comprehend everything that I'm supposed to remember. But the things that you're learning right now at the Cornerstone are going to be effective in you having the tools to build Jesus' kingdom 10 years from now in all kinds of places in the United States and other parts of the world. That's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. This is training ground. Jerusalem was a training ground, and that's why the, the 12 apostles are still there. Okay. Second part of verse 2. So it's the 12 gathered all the disciples together, and they said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Here's what I want you guys to get. Is these 12 apostles of Jesus, you know what they've been doing in Jerusalem? What have they been doing? They've been teaching the word and washing dishes and putting mashed potatoes on the, on the plate for the person that's in front of them. You guys see this? They've been whiting tables. And they're, and they're getting to the point where there's so many people that are like, hey, how about some delegation here? Here's, here's what I want you guys to think about these 12 apostles. They, these 12 guys, I still, at this point, I don't think they realize, just like so many of you in this room don't realize what's ahead for you. They don't realize the extent of Jesus' kingdom, how Jesus' kingdom is going to be built through them in just the, in a few years after this. They don't understand that. They're about to go all over the world and do amazing ministry. But before, here's what I want you guys to get. Before they do international ministry, they serve dinner to poor people. Do you guys see this? This is significant. Some of you guys, so there are people in this room who I know are being called to effective, influential, Holy Spirit-powered ministry. 
But you cannot do what God is calling you to do until you learn how to clean the toilets at the cornerstone and wash the dishes. That's the deal. And that's the reason why in our leadership training, every person who goes through leadership training, they spend time with Sam learning how to clean this building. They spend time with Luke learning how to do the coffee shop. They spend time with Matt and others learning how to make the Friday lunch happen. You know why? It's not just because we need all those things done. There's people that can do them. But because we don't want people leading who think that they can lead without knowing how to clean the toilet. That's the way it is. That's where I started. You guys know my story. Show up at Grace Community Church. I'm like, okay, tell me what I'm supposed to do. They're like, we're not hiring. I said, I'm not looking to be hired. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. They said, can you build? I said, yeah. So the next day I started building the office over here. That day, one of the pastors, other pastors comes in. He's not around anymore. He's like, hey, do you know how to fix toilets? I'm like, yeah. So like, can you fix my toilet? Sure. So I fixed it. I wasn't trying to be a pastor. I just knew that there was a building that needed, there, a, a office that needed to be built and some toilets that needed to be fixed. I'm like, here I am. And that's where these guys are. There's like, there's people that need to be fed because that's what the kind of thing that Jesus does. Guys, I'm, I'm telling you this because we're trying to launch you into world-changing ministry. But you can't do it without washing the dishes, maybe even at your own house. Okay. Verse 3. I want you guys to see something else about the church in Jerusalem. Brothers, choose seven men. This is what, this is what the 12 say. The 12 leaders, these 12 apostles who are still in Jerusalem, they say, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn the responsibility over to them and, and will give our attention to prayer and ministry and the word. Okay, here's what I want you guys to get about the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem had developed structure. They developed hierarchy. They developed a division of labor. I want you guys to think about this. The point here is that if we're going to be successful, we've got to have structure. This is not just anybody does anything they want, anytime they want, however they want, just because we're all free in Jesus. You guys hearing me? And I know that there is, there are people who are part of our community who struggle with authority and submission. Because... In America, we claim, we at least claim, I don't know if we really believe this or not, but in America, we at least claim that we believe that all people are created equal. Right? Isn't that part of the original documents of this country, right? Okay? So we claim that we believe that all people are created equal, and that filters into a a belief in the church, a subtle attitude that nobody can tell me what to do. It's me and God. Holy Spirit is my boss, and don't you tell me if I can or can't do what I'm supposed to do. And I don't need anybody to disciple me except Jesus. You guys hear what I'm saying? Guys, I know that church authority has been abused at times. Let me tell you, so has government authority. So has police authority. So has professor-teacher authority. So has parental authority. So has boss authority. So why do you think that we should obey all those other authorities, but somehow church authority is something that we just like, it's, that's up to me. Church authority matters. I'm not telling you this because I'm a pastor. I submit to authority. I submit to authority, and it's not because I agree with it all. If, if I agree with all church authority, 
in every situation. I mean, there's times where we're, we're spending money on a parking lot or, or a car. I'm thinking, you're spending money like that? It's not my place to decide where, what color the carpet's going to be. I, the point is, I don't have to agree. It doesn't matter. Truthfully, we got a great church, and we got great pastors. We got great elders. I'm just saying that if we want God to be able to use us in the way that he used the church in Jerusalem, then we say, I don't have the right to stand up and defy authority. We don't have the right to do that. It's not our place. These 12 men in Jerusalem were the leaders of that church. And the church, the people of God submitted to them, not because they were perfect. Just back up a few pages and you know they weren't perfect. Go forward a few pages, a few pages and you realize they weren't perfect either. We don't submit to authority because it's perfect. We submit to authority because it's ordained by God. And if we have a problem with that, our problem's with the Holy Spirit, not just with those people. So for us to maximize our work right here at the cornerstone, because for us, for us to do what God's calling us to do, we submit to each other. We submit to the house leaders. We got house leaders here. We got small group leaders. We got people in the coffee shop. I'm, I'm surprised that you know there's been times where we got people in the coffee shop who have, have delegated authority in the coffee shop, and there's other people that walk in there and act like I don't have to obey you. This is my place just as much as yours. They're the coffee shop leaders. They're in charge. Okay, you guys with me? Okay. So the church, the, the church in Jerusalem, understood delegated authority. Okay. Verse five, the proposal pleased the group, and they chose. Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, and these other guys, and they presented these men to the apostles who prayed for them. Okay, here's what I want you guys to get about the church in Jerusalem that I want to apply to this community of people. That leadership was given to these seven guys. Why? Because, well, it says that Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit and full of faith. But if you back up a couple verses, it says that these guys... That they say it again? Yeah, they 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 were they were men of character. Exactly, they were they're they're men of character. Men who men first three men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and of wisdom. What's the point here, here? These guys are given vital responsibility, important responsibility, and they're given responsibility. They're chosen. These seven guys are chosen out of five thousand plus people, and they're chosen because of how they have handled the responsibility that had been given to them previous to this. They were men of character. They were not lazy. They were diligent. They did what they were supposed to do. Here's what I want you guys to think about. The salvation that has been given to you is free. There is nothing you need to do to earn what Jesus did for you. It's free, totally free. But the entrustment of responsibility within the kingdom that I'm asking you guys to take is earned. It's earned. There were, if there, there were 5,000 other people that did not get chosen for this position because they weren't as trustworthy as these seven guys. Okay? I'm asking you guys to be diligent with the gifting that's upon you and the responsibility that's been entrusted to you. Guys, we got we got some amazing leaders here. Just let me just brag on on. Let me, where's Luke? Okay, 
I mean, Luke comes here a year, and, and also, I just want to tell you guys about Luke's humility. He comes in my office a year and a half ago, a year and ten months ago, and he starts, can I tell him? He starts sort of mouthing off, yeah, like the church in America and blah, you know, we, we need to do, and I'm like, so you're telling me that all my work is in vain, and you got the answers. And he's, he responded so humbly, he said, oh, I guess that's what it sounds like I'm telling you. I didn't mean to make it sound like that. I said, why don't you join me and try to change the church rather than just tell me what's wrong with it? And you know what he did? He said, okay, let's go. Because he has done amazing work. He's his house leader at Ohana. He leads the coffee shop ministry here. He works something like 40 hours a week doing ministry. You know why? Not because we pay him. He's doing it because, he's, because he loves Jesus. Talk about, I mean, he's a guy who understands this principle of all I want to do is serve Jesus. And if I'm diligent with what I have right now, he's going to trust me with more. You guys haven't seen anything yet. And a lot of it comes through his humility, his willingness to clean the toilets, and his willingness to, when I, when I challenged him, he submitted to me. I was, it freaked me out. People come to my office all the time telling me what's wrong with the church, and, and, I, and they don't want to listen to what I got to say. He listened. I'm proud of you, Luke. Okay, verse 7. Verse 7, so the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests also became obedient to the faith. Here's what I want you guys to get about the church in Jerusalem that we can apply right here, is that what, what could, think about this, guys, what could have caused a church split was in Jerusalem. Remember, you got two groups of people who, who have offended each other because it wasn't, they weren't being treated fairly. What could have been a church split was handled so well that even the enemies of the church, the people that had put Jesus to death, the priests, they became believers. Do you guys see this? Because of how the people of God responded when there was a clash. I want you guys to think about what could have happened. What could have happened? Just think about it. Do you think there could have been a church split? Absolutely. Think about the way that church splits happen. Somebody isn't happy about the way that somebody else handled something. And as they're driving home after the merge, we're talking on the porch. They say something like, so what do you think about that? And they're looking for an ally, somebody who, who, who has the same opinion as them. And if that person's like, yeah, I don't really agree with that either. Now they got a team. And they look for a third person. Have you guys seen this happen before? Maybe not here, but I'm sure you've seen it happen. And... At some point, the thing is broken apart. Okay, what the church in Jerusalem did, guys, this is what I want you guys to get. The church in Jerusalem, there is somebody who has been disrespected. There's a group of people that have been disrespected. They've been treated unfairly, at least in their eyes. And they go to the leaders and ask for a solution. They don't just complain, complain. They request a change. Guys, I want you to think about what the word assertiveness means. And if you've been through, um, any, any of you that are getting married, you've been through this with me. But the idea of assertiveness is that you learn to ask your spouse for what it is you want. Would you mind, if you're going to come home after 11 o'clock tonight, would you mind giving me a call? That's assertiveness. Do you know how many times people complain, but they don't know what they're complaining about? I've had people in my office like, you know, I don't really agree with the way the cornerstone does, and you know, there, there's some things, there's some things wrong here. Like, did you think I didn't know? I know, I know there's problems here. I know we got problems here. I know we're not perfect. So what are you asking me to what are you asking me to do? Well, I just wanted you to know that there's problems here. 
Okay. So he, he, what the church in Jerusalem did is, is they isolated what the problem was, and they made, they, they made decisions that kept people from pitting themselves against each other and turning against each other. The leaders did something about it. I want you guys to think about it. If the leaders at the cornerstone, if you bring a problem to the leaders at the cornerstone, like, hey, there's people, there's people stealing coffee beans at the coffee shop or whatever it is, and you're asking specifically, would you please put a lock on the coffee beans or whatever it is, and the leaders at the cornerstone don't do what you say, what you think they should do, you got a choice, Okay? You want to know what you got? You got a couple of choices. One choice is you don't got to stay here. You don't got to. If you, if it's really something where like this bothers me, I can't believe how many people steal coffee beans. <laughs> Go find another great college ministry where they don't steal coffee beans. Okay. I'm saying I'm talking about something where you've gone to the leaders and the leaders haven't agreed. They haven't done anything about what you wanted them to do. So you can, you can go find another another place to be. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. Or you can stay here and say, you know what? I trust the leaders. They take care of the coffee beans. What you cannot do is stay here and for the next four years complain about how the leaders at the Cornerstone didn't do what you thought they should do. Do you, you guys hear what I'm saying? That's not okay. And, I, as you know, I think back about how many times we could have solved situations if people just understood that. So I'm not being mean here. I'm telling you this because I want us to function the way the church in Jerusalem functioned. Okay, one more thing. Were the people, were some of the people there disrespected? Had they been dissed? Had they been, had they been offended? Huh? Yeah! Yeah, they'd been offended. They were offended. And I want you to think about People in this room, just want you don't look around, don't stare at the person, but just think about the people in this room or the people in your discipleship house where you live or the people in your own family or the people in your small group who have disrespected you. I want you to think about that. Yeah, they're looking at, hey, hey, don't look at him, don't look at him. <laughs> okay. Here's, and here's what I want you guys to think about. If our ministry, in fact, I'll, I'll give you a little more of my math up here. If our ministry, if ministry is always less than or equal to unity, okay? Because Jesus said that, that the, the strength of the, of the power of the Holy Spirit through his people would, would, could not exceed the unity of his people. This is John 17. If this is the case, you guys hear what I'm saying? Are you still with me? i got about two more minutes. Okay. If that's the case, and if it's the case that we are irritating people, then is there no solution for us is there no way for us to be successful in representing Jesus in his kingdom? Do you guys understand my question? You get two people, you get people, you get any of us are irritating people if you have to spend enough time with us, right? Right? I mean, we just, we, we offend each other. We hurt each other. We dis, disrespect each other. And if that's true, and it's also true that unity is required for ministry, then what's the solution? You guys understand my question? Any idea? What, I, this is important. What's the solution for us? 
It's love. And love, and specifically, what part of love? It's the fruits of the Holy Spirit. What, what is it? Fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But guys, this is all, when people aren't that way, what do you do? You pray for them. Think about the people that dissed you today. People, think, think about the people in your, in, your, in your homes who have treated you with disrespect. And you want unity, but they're not nice people all the time. Then what do you do? Forgive. Guys, this is the solution. Guys, we, don't ex- we, we know that, th- that we can only be as powerful as the unity of the body of Christ. But because we've got such a bunch of punky people... I mean, if you just hang out with me long enough, we're irritating. And we offend, I mean, who have I offended? Who have I offended today? I think I offended Nick, and I think I offended Kevin. Anybody else? I didn't offend Timothy. No way, man. Okay. Okay. I think I'm, Nick, did I offend you earlier, brother? Okay. Okay, thank you. I think, I might have offended Philip, too. I'm not sure who I offended, but guys, I think I've lost count. Here's my point, guys. We're... I just pray every day, Lord, put a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Help me not say such silly, in, the, in, the, in an effort to be silly, I say things that are painful for people. And I know you guys all do the same thing. You know what we need? We need to say, he's not perfect, but I love him anyway. I forgive. I accept the pain in my life of what somebody has done to me, and I let it go. I let it go. I nail it at the cross of Jesus. Okay, so, so we're... we're we're five minutes over. Sorry, guys. Please forgive me. Um, hope nobody's dis- felt disrespected. Here, here, guys, here, here's where we're going. Guys, stand up. We're going to pray. And as we pray, we're going to pray for God to give us the strength to forgive. And then after this, if you guys need a specific prayer, we've got prayer team up in the prayer room upstairs. And so if you guys need a specific prayer for something, I want to invite you to come up there and pray. Let's, let's go ahead and pray together. Lord Jesus, would you just continue to build this community into people that are going to be world-changing leaders, submitted to you and submitted to your people, and would the gifting from your Holy Spirit be spread out on everybody here? And Father, especially as we understand that the ministry that you want to do through us is dependent on the unity of your people, would you help us, God, to be people who forgive? God, would you would this be... Uh, a community of forgiving people. And we forgive together right now. We forgive everyone who has hurt us. We forgive them, Lord. We forgive as you forgive us. So would you help us to be able to do that, to live that out, to walk it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you need prayer, go upstairs. And otherwise, we're done.